Hey, awesome nerds, and welcome to another episode of D&D and TV, the weekly podcast where we rewatch or recap television shows you really enjoy and talk about how the themes, concept, and characters can be used in different role-playing games. I am your host, Jeremy. This week, we are continuing our series on uh, that time I got reincarnated as a slime. We're up to episodes three and four, and I am joined by the competent Caleb, who is currently spitting up Magisteel swords into a dwarf smith's workshop. Sure am, sure am. It's uh, definitely feeling a lot less uh, slimy and gooey than last week. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling great, ready to go, ready to go on to these uh, next couple of episodes. Yeah, wonderful. We are talking about the episode three, The Battle at Goblin Village, and episode four, In the Kingdom of the Dwarves. Uh, these are from season one, and well, let's go through the entire synopsis from IMDb. Let's do after leaving the cave, Ramiru, oh, Ramuru, they can't say Ramuru, it's from Ramiru, right? Uh, uh, Rimuru. Rimuru. Oh, I guess Rimuru. Rimuru, right. Rimuru encounters a village of goblins under attack by a clan of direwolves. Caught in the heat of the moment, Rimuru agrees to help the goblins in their battle. That night, the direwolves arrive to take, try to take over the new rulers of the forest, great forest of Jura. Rimuru and his companions visit the Dwarven Kingdom, the armed nation of Dwargon, in search of some artisans to help the goblins learn to supply their own food, shelter, and clothing. However, a skirmish just outside the city gate lands Rimuru and Gobta in a prison cell. Then there's a report of an Armosaurus in the nearby mines. Mm-hmm. I um, I won't say this every week, but I hate these synopsis. They're so bad. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not great. Um, honestly, if, we, uh, if you were looking for the best kind of synopses, uh, I would recommend the... Um, the wiki they, there's a full wiki for, the, for these mm, ones that's a good idea um but uh yeah no um for the for the most part they're they're okay i think there was a little bit more to be recapped in that second episode because then you've got um the meeting with um kaiji and the, kaijin, uh, the yeah. dwarven brother the dwarven kaijin dwarf kaijin uh, dwarf smith kaijin dwarf, dwarf smith, yes um you and i believe yeah the episode ends in the uh the elven uh hostess tavern yes hostess bar oh my um, gosh all right i have oh i've got comments about that <laughs> okay yep um just i i think going forward i'm just going to read one sentence of the synopsis because yeah. taking yeah. it from the ones on imdb that i'm grabbing are the exact ones on crunchyroll as well yes absolutely so that's kind of kind of my point all right now i'm going to delve into the elven brothel Yes, uh, please. But, do. What is it like? What's it called? Well, the something the butterflies. It's not, it, it is not exactly a brothel. No, it's a hug station, as far as I can it, tell. It's, it's 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 a hostess bar. It's um sure uh, yeah that makes it's, sense. It's, it's 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 very much a, a Japanese based thing. Like there can sometimes be more explicit ones, but it's it's very much a case of beautiful women being paid to have conversation and charge for drinks and all that sort of stuff. It, uh, so it's like it's definitely the classic blue. Playboy cut look. Exactly, exactly. It's not like it is a full-on brothel. Um, it's uh, just you... an. Honestly, it. I feel like it might actually work quite well in a D and D setting because oh. it's uh, that little bit, like, sexy, risque, which you know a lot of players, especially your more chaotic ones, would definitely love without you having to go through a whole fade to black scenario yeah certainly the amount that you see in this episode or in one of these episodes that's about the level of i don't want to say romance the amount of sexy times that occurs in my games honestly like that's fantastic yeah you go to a house of lady favors and you have a nice conversation and someone's like hey i charge this much I say lady favors, but there's gentleman favors there as well. Absolutely, um, we're equal opportunity here. Yeah, but that's kind of kind of it. That's just like okay, cool, and then you fade to the back of the thing and you jump to somebody else in the next morning. Like yeah. you don't go into the details. You have a couple of the jokes and maybe yeah. a little bit of the flirting, and then you draw the veil. Yeah. So, um, so what were your thoughts uh, about it then? Because um, from the sounds of it, it's honest. Like at least from my point of view. I felt that it was actually, um, if you were to translate that into D and D game, that's honestly perfect. Like no notes. Yeah, it is. It's kind of perfect. It's just a little bit of the the attitude that is very prevalent. I find in anime is something that I yeah. have issues with. Yes, um, and I know a lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. I know this is something that I, but okay, 
the amount of time it was just Rimuru in a circle of boobs. Yeah. That were bigger than him. Yep. Um, and he was just like, boobs. I'm like, okay, great. Yep, we get it. You're horny. You're 37 yep. years old and you've never had sex. We get yep. it. Of course, the way he reacts when the goblins suddenly turn sexy, because the goblins turn sexy in this as well, yeah. <laughs> kind of suggests that's why you're a 37-year-old virgin, dude. Yeah, exactly. Like, it it, it, it tracks with the character. Um, so... And, well, okay, if, this is... Yeah. I, I, I will say, it's not about this show as such. This show has been remarkably less horny than some. Oh, um, God, No yeah. one's had a nosebleed, thankfully. Mm. But it is interesting that... Um... <laughs> That the person who voices uh, Rimuru in the in the English dub, um, mm. Brittany Kabovsky, yeah. is also the voice of someone in Valkyrie Drive Mermaid. Oh, nice! Valkyrie Drive Mermaid is what I'm talking about when I talk about sometimes anime goes a little pervy. Yes, absolutely. So um, when the goblins got sexy and when they start, he starts lusting after these elf players. He's like, "Oh my god, there's elves in the city!" I was like, "Oh." Oh, it's going to be one of those shows. Great. Well, I think Great. that's um, one of the very, very interesting things that honestly I think could actually translate well to D and D. Pervy so, slimes, maybe pervy slimes. Um, <laughs> but although, like, okay, he, here's the interesting thing. So, on one hand. You know, you do like pervy slimes can work in that sort of campaign, but I think the main thing that makes the fan service in that time slime, as we're calling it, yeah, um, that time slime, that time slime, what makes it, sorry, pun me, uh, so I, I guess less creepy than a mm -hmm. lot of other anime is that you'll find that a lot of the characters are straight up up for it. They are straight up thirsting for it. They um, they want to be perceived like that. Um, and, you know, the fan service comes from, you know, them outright, like, being overtly, yeah, I'm, you know, I want you or I want this. Whereas you find with a lot of other anime that a lot of fan service is either unbeknownst to the, uh, um, to the participant or... To the object. You yeah, can say the exactly. object. The object. Um, uh, yeah, it, it, it is outright objectification, um, mm. and or it is a source of embarrassment. Now, yeah. that is something that I think a lot of, um, like, very closeted, like, thankfully, it is not across the board when it comes to D&D, but I have heard stories of people that decide to go a little bit more risque when it comes to those sort of environments, um, and think that the comedy... Um, or the interest comes from embarrassment. Yeah. You don't, you, if you want to have a good time in those sort of places, you need to um, have uh, people, like you, you need to be matching energy, not one-upping the energy. It's one of those situations where it's not so much a yes and scenario. It is very much mm. a yes it's like a yes also scenario. Um, like knowing that... Enthusiastic consent. Exactly. Um, yeah. So like for, um, in a particular situation, um, I uh, early on with one of my parties, um, they went to a bathhouse um, and actually met um, sort of the uh, catalyst slash antagonist for this particular arc, just straight up in the main bath slash pool. Um, and this was after one of the characters had already like gone full on, stripped off, jumped in, um, you know, was like, oh, I'm going to make everyone else uncomfortable. And that's when you can go, okay, I will match that. I, I will like not making everyone else uncomfortable, but matching the energy and the level of commitment that you have. I'm going to make sure that yeah. I am matching that. Um, that's one of those, it, it's a very rare scenario where as a DM, you have to be careful of the concept of anding compared to allsoing. Mm. Mm. Um, okay. So that makes yeah. sense. That makes sense. I hadn't really um, thought about it that way. Mm. Um, it, with the, the embarrassment factor, I think is one that I think yeah. people who 
you draw when you're drawing an anime, you do have to be very cautious yes. about what lesson you take away from it. And I think yes. you've really summed up the best way to look at it. Absolutely. You need to keep in mind who the observer is. Is the observer into it? In which case, then, um, sorry, is the, is the observer and the participant into it? Mm-hmm. And are they both active participants? Because, you know, there can also be scenarios where, you know, you're trying to watch something and it's like, I, I really didn't need a panty shot there. Or that's yeah, like, I really didn't need that. <laughs> well, we get it. Her boobs are big. Yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll be interested to know, to see how you like um, a later character. Yeah. Okay. We'll um, see. Now, again, see. going on from that. Um, yes. Let's talk about the goblins and the fact that after three days, suddenly the goblins evolve and get sexy. Yes. Uh, which, um, sure, okay. Yeah. Yep. That that felt very anime, but it also felt very video game. It's Absolutely. like now suddenly they're a playable species. So look, they're <laughs> sexy now. Wait, it reminds me of those weird, um, like, uh, mobile game ads where it's yeah. just like, you know, level one um, mook. Um, and then level five, I don't know. Gang uh, boss or something, yeah. Gang boss, yeah, that sort of stuff. It it very, like, like you say, it felt very much video gaming. Oh, it, it really did. And I understand why. I liked the reasoning that led up to it. I didn't like the outcome. But yeah. I did like, like, there's a whole thing that Rimuru passes out because he used up two ma- magic cools, like giving mm-hmm. everyone names. And that's cool. And then he wakes up and there's like this busty goblin girl who (laughs) was like this short little thing. And he runs, she runs out and comes back in and suddenly there's this super jacked goblin dude. Yeah. He's like, what the hell is going on? So it's like all of them glowed up. Yeah, exactly. Except Gobta. Like, is that explain why Gobta's like still a goblin? That's the gag. Gobta's like, there's the thing. Gobta is still a hobgoblin. Like he he has actually upgraded but just no. <laughs> he just looks exactly the same. Exactly. Oh, um, poor Gobta. Yeah, poor Gobta. It's okay. Um, but yeah, so I guess that would lead us then into the concept of names and sort of the power of names, um, especially in a game setting. Um, yes. Now this, oh, for people who, obviously I'm assuming everyone's seen the episode, but just in case you haven't, mm-hmm. basically... Rimuru manages to stop the direwolf attack and protect the village and joins them all together and says, okay, well, I need names for you all and starts yeah. giving all the goblins names. Without realizing what power that holds. Yeah. And part of it is that he is giving up his magical energy to name them. Mm. And like, there's a whole thing about power of names, but obviously they then are able to evolve from a standard monster, a mm. nameless little creature to something more powerful exactly i believe in the in the sorry the light novel um you know they are of various classes it's something that didn't translate to the anime which honestly might be for the best but um that think of it like that they go from a class c monster or a class d monster to a class b um and yeah they basically like upgrade like that and i i like this i like that there is the power of names in classic mm-hmm. uh, myth and fiction, mm-hmm. that if you know something's true name, then you have power over them. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's still some religions that believe that. Um, and also that idea that if you give an NPC a name, they suddenly become a person. Exactly. And this is very true in role-playing games. Like the number of times I've had players go, oh yeah, what's the bartender's name? Mm-hmm. And I've had to come up with something. And now they're suddenly interested in the in the bartender and they want to know more about him or they want to know more about the guard rather than just killing them all. It's like, oh, okay, cool. We'll find out this this guy's name and like learn a little bit from him. And now we're going to keep the goblin as a pet and we're going to have to name him. So they yep. stopped being the creature that you just threw at them because you needed something to go through on a Thursday night. And exactly. suddenly now they're a member of the party and they've got a backstory and they've got hopes and dreams. Precisely. Um, and yeah, like that, that's the thing. I think, uh, names hold power within games and within mythology, which is where slime sort of, uh, meets. 
which is really, really cool. It feels as if it is a world-building opportunity within this magical, magically infused realm that also sells the whole video game nature of it as well. I think also it would be really, really cool to leave some of the naming, like what's happened with Rimuru, leave some of the naming down to the players. I think it'd be oh, yeah, really sure. cool to actually implement that as a mechanic uh, to start naming characters. Because uh, also, it takes a bit of the weight off of us as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be great. Um, that aspect of, particularly if it's like a, a character's hometown or something, and they say, oh, do I know that guy? You're like, yeah, you went to school with him. What's his name? Yep. And a little bit of it is that collaborativeness, but it also gives them ownership over it. Precisely. The more that they feel like they're participating and own a little bit of the game, it's, it, it suddenly becomes, yeah, that more of that conversation, which is when D&D is at its best, when it is more of a conversation as opposed to a narrator's uh, storytelling uh, task. Yeah, as much as fun as I love the sound of my own voice at actually telling the stories to the players, it is good when they get to do a bit of it too. Exactly. There's something about when they they glow up as well, and mm-hmm. like the the goblin elder becomes Rigard. Is it Rigard? Uh, Rigard. I believe it's Rigur, um, Rigur for the um, for the big one, and then Rigurd for his son. Um, which translates a little bit better in Japanese. It's like Rigur Do. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, Rigur for big guy, Rigur De for his son. But yes, continue. Um, That one of the things about, like let's say a boss in an adventure that you've got, they will generally be named. Absolutely. They will have a name. They will have a background in some ways, but Absolutely. when the the mooks they don't, mm-hmm. uh, and it, I think it's a little bit of that that suddenly by giving them all names, they've become like it just ties in with that. Suddenly they're they're the boss. Hmm. Absolutely, uh, especially considering that he was already in a position of kind of authority. You can see that progression there. Uh, which actually yeah, is a I'm... big thing when it comes to slime. Like, are you starting to see sort of how these little and then therefore, therefore is starting to show up? So like in the next episode, they're sort of like, oh, wait, these guys are bigger now. Therefore, we need to be able to make bigger houses and make mm. bigger supplies. Therefore, we need clothes, to go to establish because... yeah, new, new clothes yeah. as well. Uh, so then they need to then go towards this new nation to ask for stuff. Um, yeah, I do like that it kind of falls on from each problem. Mm. Like the problem in the last episode, or the end of the last episode, was direwolves are going to attack. Yes. But very early in the episode, the direwolf problem is removed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but quite simply Very brutally, as well. I might add. Yeah. I know that was shock. I was like, "Fucking yeah. hell!" Yeah, it's That's probably like... one of the most brutal shots in the entire series, and for no reason. Yeah. Like, just <laughs> my notes are just fucking murders that head wolf. <laughs> like he pins. This is full on D and D. Yeah, we cast in staring strike. We tie them all up, and we just behead them. Yeah, kind of stuff. Actually, yeah, it does feel very, very D and D. That just that sudden of just like, oh god, you you tortured that guy, Jesus. <laughs> It did feel like that was the only possible option. It seemed yeah. like this dire wolf was just going to keep attacking until oh, like, yeah, it ruled over everyone. But mm. then the fact that its son is just like, okay, well, I guess I don't feel any grudge towards you. Yeah. Like, like Ranga. Okay. If Ranga turns out to be evil, I am going to throw something. I'm going to like remove the TV from my house. This is not, not acceptable. Ranga is an adorable unicorn wolf, and I will hear no bad words about him. Um, would you like to know if he does or doesn't? No, I will okay. find out. Okay, okay. I'll find out later. Okay, I'll be very disappointed if he then, dies. Then, 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 yeah, you, you, you've you've made a pretty good uh, uh, assumption there. He he is a very very good boy. 
he's a very very good boy who has Stockholm syndrome. Yes, possibly. Um, there is again one of those things in the light novel where you get sort of internal stuff about them. But yeah, for the most part, it is very much read as no the uh, Rimuru is the most powerful one around and mm. is also actively seeking to help the pack so that helps yeah um, that's true i i am liking that a lot of like this came even down when he was talking to veldora mm -hmm. that the solution isn't to fight exactly that it's not the i'm so powerful that anything you hit me with i'll just shrug off and then hit you with something else more powerful which is Oh, I'm trying to think of Misfit of Demon King Academy. That's one where it's like that. <laughs> oh, um, man, I love that series. Um, whereas this is very much like, oh, I really, I feel like I'm really lucky to have survived that. And yeah. now I'm either going to make friends with you or scare you away. I'm not going to try to kill you. And that's shown later on. Like with the wolves, he's like, you need to nick off. Go away. I don't want to fight you. Or you just, yeah. what is it? Yield or die, he says. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's like, I really hope they take the yield option because I don't want to don't want to fight. Yeah. And exactly. then later on, he's fighting the the muggers outside the city. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't attack them. He like they throw everything at him and he's like, I'm just gonna scare you. Yeah. And that works really well. It's just like he's not like it feels like he could have just devoured them. Exactly. And I think that's something that also sells the world a lot better. So it's it's an odd one. So you're basically an odd one. Also, I like that his only option, his solution to everything is eat it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, devour away. Yeah. Oh look, the goblins are injured. I'm gonna eat that one. Like that felt very D and D as well. Yes. Um exactly. where the player's like, I eat the goblin. Dungeon Master's like, um, Thankfully, that heals him because you've got potions that you're carrying inside. Oh, yeah, that's right. It does. Yeah, it does. Totally. <laughs> yeah, that works. So, oh, I, I eat guess... the others too. It's like, oh, thank God I thought of that. I guess that's the thing. It's very much approaching it from a point of view of if I was actually a citizen of this world, and especially if I was existing as someone that could communicate with sort of your mob characters, mm. I wouldn't be killing all that much. I, I would very much be trying to find the non-killing option because, number one, it means that I might get an ally out of it. And number two, suffering the consequences of a murder, uh, especially if it's something that you feel is somewhat equal to you, that's, um, I don't know. I, I feel like if you're in a certain headspace of I've been talking to, I, I've been having my expectations subverted enough when it comes to these mooks that at this point I am going into stuff thinking that I need to roleplay at some point of this. Yeah. It's a very interesting approach that honestly I don't see enough in D&D. I do find there's always usually one in each group mm -hmm. um, who coming across a creature, if it seems like an intelligent creature... Mm -hmm. will try to talk them out of fighting. Yes. Or might maybe it's like, go away or I'll destroy you. It might be switch to our side. There's always someone. Mm -hmm. It may not always be the one you expect yes. or the one who's good at it, but there's always mm -hmm. one who's like, hey, let's talk about this. And uh, it's something that actually, while Beyond the Witchlight, uh, that particular module does really, really well. Every single encounter in that essentially has a pacifist option mm. it's honestly something that i want to see more of in DD. &D. i want combats to have a pacifist option if someone was to decide to turn around and do that by and large if you've made a combat encounter that is only meant to be a combat encounter it means the person who is doing honestly kind of the more imaginative and uh immersed action isn't seeing a reward for it or at least any level of engagement for it yeah i see what you're saying i i know that the thing is D, D is a game about fighting monsters hmm. 
Like here's where it kind of falls down. D and D in particular about mm. fighting monsters. Other games are amazing for that. Thirsty Sword Lesbians, perfect. Yes, um, absolutely. So even something like I Hunt mm. uh, would be good for it. And go on about I Hunt a lot, but those more well, actually, a really good one is going to be the Avatar uh, Last Airbender, uh, the Avatar Legends game. Oh, there's a role playing game called Avatar. There is, yeah. It's powered oh, by shit. the Apocalypse. But a lot of the combat isn't about fight moves or anything like that. It's about using empathy to talk to the other person. Mm, absolutely. And it's like moves like um, touch on their history, um, help them out. So it's that kind of thing. And whether you're successful or not depends on the dice roll. Mm. But you can throw as many punches as you want. That's not going to be the solution. Yeah, It's going to be about the word you say to them because that's very much what Avatar has. Absolutely. It's a, it's, it's, similar to how slime works which is the idea that combat is a process but not the end result yeah um which unfortunately as you say dnd is a major component like that is a major component of dnd that is the large as the majority of what is in the rule books you know you have the monster manual you have the dun like the dungeon master's guide maybe less than that but like the player's handbook a lot of that is taken up with combat-specific mechanics. Well, most uh, of the skills you get as you your class levels up are combat mechanics. Exactly. Some, there's always one that will be roleplay-centric or exp- exploration-centric, but most of the other ones are about fighting stuff. Which Just, um, I'm watching critical rewatching Critical Role season two now. Yeah, and up to the scene with the the hag and the cupcake. For those mm. who haven't seen it, there's no spoilers there. Yeah, but on either side of that encounter are two combats. Yeah, and, and I, think, I think a lot of that was because there are players there that want to have combat. Exactly, um, and like when you play D anD D, people go into it expecting some form of combat, uh, which I might. I've got to say something maybe a little bit controversial here. Mm. I think, and I, I think I've said this to you before, is that in my personal opinion. I think tabletop role-playing games, their biggest strength is the role-playing aspect because we are very, very used to instantaneous, very immersive combat. But even within the combat, I find the most engaging style being when people are describing how they're doing it, what flavor it is, what they're aiming for, getting into the role-playing part of combat because... Yeah, in in the end, that is something that role-playing games solely do better than any other medium. I think it's absolutely right that the reason D&D took off Mm. was because it brought that role-playing aspect to what was essentially a war game at the time. Exactly. Like, war games had already been popular. Like, H.G. Wells developed war games. Mm. Like, that's how old they are. Yeah. And well, it, it's going through. And then in the 70s, suddenly they added this role-playing aspect and they were accessible to everybody. Because mm. everyone can this, tell a story. Yeah, because everyone can tell a story. So it really is this, the strength of them mm. that people want to tell that story. And the combat can be just another way of telling that story. Precisely. I tend to, if I'm not running D&D, I tend to have very little combat and have the combat just be a decider. Like instead of just having it as, as a dice roll, mm. I want it to be the, the what's the word? That war is the, war is the continuation of politics by other means. Yes. And in this, in, in, in RPG for me, combat is the continuation of a conversation by other means. Mm. If it's, you want to um, prove to someone, sorry, you go. No, no, no. Uh, so it's like in musicals. It's like when people, you know, if the emotions get too big to continue talking, that's when people are going to start singing at each other. Yeah. I guess that might be the exact same thing when it comes to D&D. When the emotions get too big to be talking to each other, that's when it goes into combat. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't last too long. It lasts for the span of a song. It lasts yeah. for a few rounds until one side has got a clear advantage and then you stop. And then you mm. continue the conversation with this new information. 
exactly. There are very, going to be very, very few uh, encounters that are actually going to fight to the death. If you are thinking about it in a full-on immersive term, chances are at around about the 50% HP to out 25% HP, that's when that side is going to be like, Oh dear. Okay, I may have bitten off a little bit more than I can chew. Uh, let's uh, let's let's try something else. Okay, let's let's uh, back off a little bit. Uh, which honestly, I should do more. Uh, <laughs> I think. Uh, I, I, I that, think that's largely... true of some some creatures. If it's an intelligent creature, like if yeah. I, a lot of my games, I start off with characters trying to stop a mugging, mm. and that generally occurs once the the opponents get to half health they start to run they start to yeah. break and then once half of them have broken or run or been taken out all of them go because yeah. they they're now at a disadvantage however if it's something like zombies or like spiders in their lair mm. or other creatures even if they think or even intelligent humanoids if they think they can take somebody out and then get away they'll take mm. the shot well, and they'll keep attacking because there are Again, it's a game about fighting monsters and defeating your enemies, and people want to defeat their enemies and like smash through hordes of zombies sometimes. Well, so if you can have be... like that mindless foe that it's okay to keep attacking and will keep attacking unless you kill it, mm. that can be fun too. Oh, absolutely. Um, it can like there is a really cool kick you can get out of like dealing that final blow. I think also part of trying to implement the whole uh, combat as a path or a process toward the end is acknowledging, okay, what does either side of this encounter want? So you describe like the spiders there. Chances are the spiders are there looking to get food. Yeah. Uh, and if they figure out, oh, wait, this food isn't all tied up, uh, it is attacking back chances are they're probably going to back off at that point uh or as you see it with the wolves in in slime where their pack leader has died and brutally brutally so morale is maybe a little less strong and they will most likely bow to whatever seems the most powerful i.e the creature that just killed it and that would be like trying to find those alternative ways to end the encounter without it being uh, a runaway scenario or everything's dead and no, we reduced everything to zero. Woo. Yay. Now there's bodies for us to loot mm. kind of thing. Mm. Precisely. So yeah, everyone, everyone forgets about bodies. Unfortunately. Everyone does. No one loots bodies anymore, which is odd. Yeah, it's started. I've started to, if I'm using miniatures, I start to leave them on the battlefield just so people yeah. know, oh yeah, by the way, there's a body there. Yeah, no, that's true. You, that's true. You can't have to deal the, with that. The little visual reminder. Yeah. Uh, what was it? I think... Now, I did find, speak, just because we're talking about battles and combat and things like that mm -hmm. and avoiding them, like it's a... I was actually surprised that the Armosaurus mentioned in the um, synopsis uh, yeah. doesn't show up. No, no, it's like, um, it is yeah. something that just affects the uh, the dwarven brothers, and yeah. in the end, the important part of it isn't so much the combat, but rather the result of it. Yeah, I was expecting uh, Rumuru to be like, "Hey, I can go out and do like deal with that. I've dealt with them before," mm. and the fact that he's like, "No, I've just like squirted out a bunch of healing potions." Mm. Um, which okay, I'm not gonna. There's again some issues. Um, I'm yeah. just gonna osmosis some some healing potions into a barrel for you. But that he was, and then he's like, I'm just gonna go back into the prison cell. Yeah, because I, I do the right thing. I'm a lawful slime. Yeah, and I guess it's going to cause people a lot more. Like think, thinking about, and that's this is why Rimuru is really interesting as a protagonist. They very much think ahead yeah where well, I don't they know think if he that plan for that i think you just like i've got these things and i can help 
if I remember correctly, it it might be again something from the light novel, but it's very it was very much a case of like, look, if I go down there and help them deal with it, I'm just look gonna look like this very, very powerful slime. And sure, I helped people, but they are still gonna feel a little bit uneasy towards me. But if I show that I am not powerful but rather useful, then most likely people going are going to trust me. That was definitely from a light novel because I did not get that from the show. Mm. I just thought he was being cheeky, slam boy. But yeah, I think that I guess would be another thing. Like your players don't always have to be powerful. They could always have a skill set that is very useful to those around them. Yeah. Um, So like you have an artificer who works well with magic items. Maybe there's a magic items that needs repairing. Um, like, uh, I think I talked a little bit about this last week, the whole idea of shoot the monk. It doesn't always have to be combat yeah. stuff. It can, always, it can also be uh, the ex- exploration stuff. You know, you've got a bunch of people who are low on spirits, uh, you know, and or a, let, let's say, you know, tonight's performer is, um, has been injured or lost their voice and... Uh, People are getting rowdy. Uh, maybe the bard gets up on stage and starts singing a little ditty. Uh, yeah, but- I I like that as well because it became like a favor for a favor. Mm. That easily, like they could, he didn't need to give the um give the potions. He was yeah. basically allowed out anyway at that point. Yeah. He yeah. could have just wandered around the city and and found a smith, and you know there would have been some problems, but eventually they would have sorted it all out because it's a story. But that idea of, hey, now I've made friends with you. you c- I can do a favor for you when you do a favor for me. That idea of you need to get the bartender to get on board with the heist that you're planning or whatever. And mm. like you said, maybe the bard in the tavern's sick and the party's bar can go, well, I can get this room full for you and get you a lot of money. So Exactly. Just that I like those. It's a solution to problems without having to make it this huge puzzle or anything like that. It's just a nice little, Hey, here's a solution. Here's a, a favor for a favor. It's a chain of favors as it were, because you it give it to this be- person who gives it to that person who gives it to this person and it gets you the thing you want. Exactly. The therefore, 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 it can also be a really good way of getting someone in who's maybe been sitting back a little bit. Someone who maybe mm-hmm. feels like they've not been able to implement a lot of their stuff. Uh, just making sure that maybe like a little task, little thing that essentially as a DM, you're just looking over at them and being like, this is your time to shine. This is your little spotlight there. Yeah. And, you know, people if you've got feel a cruel DM, you, you yeah. tend yeah. to give them the spotlight and then take something else away from them at the same time. Exactly. I'm remembering a, um, a time when quite early with my game master, uh, our party had been mugged by a group mm. of thieves and particularly a bard who had managed to like tie us all down with spells the entire time. So of course, being very angry players, we hunt them down and find the bard performing in a tavern. Hmm. And we're like, all right, fine. We're going to, we're going to beat the crap out of you. Take all our stuff back. And the bard goes like, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. I've got an idea. How about we do a challenge double or nothing? I'm going to get up on stage and play my best piece and your bard can get up and play their best piece, and the audience will decide who wins. The the, the uh, fiddle challenge. Yeah. And we're like, okay, cool, 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 cool. We our bard's pretty good. We can do this. So their bard get the the bad bard gets up and plays, and then our bard gets up and like rolls a great roll. And then we realize that the evil bard fucking ran off. Didn't even stay for the show. They just oh, legged it as soon as their set was done. Oh, and it was all a big it. distraction. So we got the money from the crowd, mm-hmm. but it was that little bit of, oh, they got us again. Yep. Oh, far out. Bard villains. We had that moment of victory, but it also, bizarre. yeah, kept them as a villain for a while longer. Mm. Gosh, what else is there that's come out of uh, that time slime from well, this episode? I episodes. like that. I don't know if this is going to be a big thing later. But we've already had the evolution of goblins, but we also learn about Magisteel and magical yes. ore getting turned. And these are weapons that level up essentially with the person using them. 
exactly. There's an idea that anything magical can evolve. Um, I, I guess, yeah, there's already... It's like what we were talking about last week with the idea of how small versus how large does this particular concept go? Mm. Uh, we are seeing situations where um, not only... Like anything that has magic in it has some form of life and a very quick evolution to it. That actually becomes a major thing later in the series as well. Um, I don't even think it shows up in this season, but I'm thinking ahead. And yeah, this idea of very quick evolution very um, through magic, uh, yeah, does it is a very central motif. Um, so interesting. All right, that yeah, that will be something I see coming up. Yeah, absolutely. I just like the idea of magic items that have a story with the character. Mm. That idea. Okay, let's say you're a blacksmith and you become a fighter and you use a hammer the entire time. Yeah, and maybe because you used to be a blacksmith, that hammer now does fire damage too. Yeah, true. And as you level up, you kind of craft it and it now can knock people over. And then that character dies and like they die a hero. And maybe the next campaign, they find the tomb of this hero with the hammer still there. And there's a magic item with stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And all of that stuff makes sense for why it exists. Yeah, that's the thing. I think a lot of how D&D is set up is very much get the thing get a better thing, replace the old thing that you had. Yeah. But, yeah, having something that grows with the player, I don't know, would have a lot more story to it and a lot mm. more of a connection to it. Um, would feel like their signature weapon. Um, I had someone recently uh, make a make a trident. Uh well, someone they had, they had um, an ally make a trident for them, and fixed in like this glass, like sort of amplify, like voice amplifying orb that they had, and um, you know it sort of has like electricity and thunder moving all through it. And I was, I'm just like, I don't want you to get rid of that. I mean, it's still just a trident with, you know, maybe some electrical properties later, but mm-hmm. yeah, having something that grows with your characters like maybe it does a little bit of extra damage over like once you reach a certain level you know or gets like a little plus one or plus two there yeah like that's that's important because people don't want to give up their weapons like people have might have gone to hero forge and been like oh here's my character with their big old weapon and then suddenly they have to replace it the next round um yeah Suddenly I'm using a, instead of using my staff, I'm using a whip and it's like, it's completely different. We can't even pretend it looks the same. Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking there's a couple of times where a monster will have an ability that when they hit, they do extra like fire damage or necrotic damage or something because they're undead. And every single time I play is like, I want that sword because it does this extra damage. And I like the idea of them getting the sword and it doesn't do anything. But then when they level up, their power of belief imbues it with the the ability to do the thing it did from the, the creature it took it from. Yeah, yeah. I, that's the thing. It's It can be problematic because essentially... Oh, uh, actually, no, no, it wouldn't be problematic. Not problematic. We've decided. We've made the decision. Yeah. Yeah. Like, as long as like you know that the thing is coming up, so therefore you just adjust accordingly yeah because that's the thing that they can talk about it and say oh i'd love it if i could do this and as game master i can make little notes and say okay they're interested in that interested in that or when they level up i can discuss it with them and say well what kind of thing are you interested in getting Mm. and if they say oh the power of flight i'm like okay maybe we don't give flight maybe we give you levitation for an hour Mm. and maybe later on as you would get flight normally in the process of um, of leveling up, once you get that spell, maybe then you can get flight. Yeah, but it doesn't use a spell slot now, so because of your blue sword or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I think um, yeah, concept of just making sure that stuff that, that stuff that people really really wanted, you have 
means by which it can stick around. Yeah. Because otherwise, you know, people are just like, they get what they wanted, and then it's like, okay, well, and then what, a level later, they find something better? Yeah. And it's just like, what's the, what's the point? What was the point of me wanting this in the first place? Um, whereas you, if you give someone what they want, then you need to then make it worth their desire. Mm. And if you can just go to, like, I'm thinking magic item shops. If all they need to do to get the magic item they want is walk down the street and buy it at the shop, it's like, well, are you really going to appreciate that thing you've now got? Yeah, no. Or do you get it by going out on a quest and finding the ancient ancient tomb of such and such? Or hell, by having someone in your party help make it for you. Yeah. Um, or you got to do fa- There's so many options with once it comes to magic items. So many options. Yeah. But I personally, are... I love that idea of swords evolving up. There's um one of the things in the Star Wars D6 RPG from yeah. a very long yeah. time ago. Because that was a little bit more grounded in reality. You didn't get more powerful as you leveled up. You got more skills, mm. but your base stats kind of stayed the same. Mm-hmm. But what you could do when you level, like when you completed a mission, is people could b- give you better weapons mm. by, you know, adding a sight on it or extending the barrel so it can fire further or mm. all these other options. So suddenly your weapon is very important to you. Yeah. Like having those right. sort of attachments. Um, or like little augments to everything. Yeah. And I really like that idea that you've got a rapier, but you take it to a smith and you pay extra money and now it does extra damage on a certain roll or something like that. And it's not magical. It's just, it's yours. It's unique to you. Yeah. No, that'd be really cool. That'd be really, really cool. Here you go. No, I was actually, um, because I'm writing up... uh, the session tomorrow i think that would be like for one of my groups i reckon that would be really um really interesting because they just finished like a big old arc i think it'd be cool to for them to sort of get upgrades this time as opposed to like the magical item shop that they had before not so much shop but they went into like a sort of a confiscated items area yeah and just the lost and found it. yeah the lost and found exactly oh that's great yeah uh well Hopefully that goes well for you. Thank you. Um, Thank you very is much. there anything else you wanted to talk about for this episode? Um, there is nothing that sh- that's sort of really jumping to mind. The main ones has been the the power of names stuff, which I think we, uh, hmm. I think we covered pretty well. a little bit on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then I guess there's only one thing left for us to do, and that's talk about the um, the natural one or natural twenty award uh, mm. that we give out each week for somebody right. who either succeeded greatly or failed horribly. Uh, and we can only pick them once each season, but it does yep. depend on whether it's um, the 20 or the one. So someone can get, someone will be named twice. Uh, and I'm going to go first because yep. I picked yep. uh, Ramuru last week for his mm-hmm. natural 20. And yep. this week I'm going to pa- pick him for his natural one. Ah, uh, what was uh, that one? See, I feel when he was outside the, the town, and he did his menace check on the bandits or whatever, or the bullies, basically. <laughs> that was a natural one. Yes, oh, it yeah. scared him away, but it wiped out everybody else in the area. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and that's great. I, I like that idea of natural ones, where it's like, in that case, you wanted to succeed because it moves the story along and it doesn't go into a combat. But a one means everybody else is affected by it, and it puts yeah. him in prison, and there's consequences and all this stuff, whereas... Maybe if he'd succeeded, everyone would be like, oh my God, you're so brave, standing up to them. Yeah, or um, hell, that would have just intimidated the guys that he was intending to intimidate. Like a basic success would have just been, yeah, you you do the thing. Yeah. So yeah, I'm giving him a natural one for that. And Fantastic. just because I think it's fun. Yeah, that, that, that'd be a fun way to do a natural one, actually. That's great. Um, for me, what about my, yourself, natural, my natural, uh, I'm also doing a natural one and that has to go to Gobta. Just, oh, poor just to be in Gobta, um, yeah. like uh, he he his will blow up roll was a natural one. Sun. Yeah, his uh, rolling for the, the charisma check. Um, <laughs> roll for appearance. Um, hell, um, rolling for actually staying the hell awake. Because um, yeah. because he's he's remained tied up in the uh, 
in the cell, doesn't he? He does. <laughs> I don't no. think they move him ever since. No, like, he's having a nap. He's probably fine. Yeah, he's, he's not going to go anywhere. He's fine. He's fine. Yeah, that's a that's a, a one on perception there. Um, cool, cool. Yeah, no. Nah. But Gobta, the walking natural one. Love it. Oh, Gobta. Like Gobta. Oh, okay. I hope Gobta turns out to be evil, though, just because that's my, <laughs> my enjoyable uh, thing. Um, so that is it for us. Um, thank you so much for listening. If you all want to get in touch, you can send us an email. The email address is dndntvpod at gmail.com, or you can see us on Instagram, um, again, at dndntvpod, where we post screenshots of the episode, just some stuff that's going on with us as well. Uh, we are brought to you by Masters of Alchemy, uh, the premier gaming game mastering service of Melbourne. Uh, you can find us online at mastersofalchemy.com and also at Fortress Emporium on Sundays where Caleb and myself run games. Um, it's really fun. Very, very you'll, fun. You'll learn all our secrets just by listening to this episode, so that's not as good for us. <laughs> We're giving everything away here. No. Why did I do this? Why did I start this podcast? <laughs> we'd love it if you left a rating and review wherever podcasts are found because that does get us out to more listeners and five-star reviews would be really great uh, because the algorithm likes them and pushes it up to the top of uh, the heap uh, but the best way is to tell your friends if you've got people who really love anime and also love D&D and want some ideas um, let them know about the podcast send them a link we, yeah we've uh, got give a full us... series left so yeah, we're going to be talking about some slime for quite a little bit longer Quite, it's quite some time on slime. Mm. Uh, and what I think friends really enjoy is if you tell us that they're going to be listening, we can do a shout out for them and that way their name gets on the podcast. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll say your name out loud. That's right. Hell yeah. yeah. Not just in our heads. <laughs> I've discovered that out loud is kind of the important thing in recording, yeah, yeah. recording thing. <laughs> Oop. Uh, but that's everything from me. Uh, so until next time, stay safe, be kind to yourselves, may all your hits be crits, and we'll see you next time you get turned into a slime. See you next time. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. Always was, always will be. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging.